In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. One problem with the King James Version of the Bible is that it makes difficult teaching sound beautiful. We might be tempted to admire the beauty of the verse and therefore avoid the difficulty of the teaching. So today we might be so busy meditating on the birds of the air who do not sow or gather into barns or the lilies of the field who neither toil or spin yet were arrayed more fabulously than Solomon in all his glory and in so doing miss the main point that Jesus is attacking our very way of life. You can't serve God and mammon, so don't worry about what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat. Focus on what God wants you to do and trust God to take care of all those things for you. Does that describe your approach to life? How many of you during the past week have worried, perhaps a little inordinately, about financial matters? How many of you have maybe spent just a little extra time in front of the mirror worrying about wherewithal will you be clothed? Mammon is money. You can't serve God and money. Yet we live in a world that is thoroughly committed to doing just that. Just about every measure of well-being that is put before us is rooted in money. The Dow Jones average, the unemployment rate, inflation, one's net worth, the value of one's retirement portfolio, et cetera, et cetera. Can you think of a publicly posted barometer of personal well-being that is not economic? and that is not given with the idea that every time it goes up, you should feel a lot better about yourself. Now, don't go home and say that St. Matthew's has an impractical priest who doesn't think it's important for people to have jobs or for a country to prosper. But there are other questions that are not asked very frequently. For example, is a rise in the value of the stock market always an unmitigated good. Was it good when the stocks went up because people lent money according to bad practices? Is there ever a need to ask whether the things that were sold were actually good? Whether the work being done is good? Is there ever a need to ask how the people involved in the enterprise are faring? However, most of us live in a micro world. We may enjoy gathering with friends with the supply of our favorite beverage and solving the problems of the world, but very seldom are we ever asked to actually have any impact on those problems. Nobody consults us. For most of us, the vocation is to be faithful in the smaller world in which we actually live. On the day of judgment, we probably won't be asked to give a Christian critique of modern economic practices. But there probably will be some discussion of what we actually did when the intrinsic value of the product or the quality of the work or the way people were treated depended on us. 
The gospel is a critique of the human tendency to be anxious and full of worry about things. Jesus mentions anxiety or worry four times. Twice he gives a commandment, don't worry, don't be anxious. And the other two are a practical observation. Since worrying about things can't make you taller, stronger, or better able to handle any of those things, why do it? Now, if you've ever been full of anxiety, you know that the very worst thing someone can do is walk in the room and say, don't worry about it. We can't turn our anxiety, our worry about things on and off like a switch. What Jesus is saying is that the worship or the service of mammon produces anxiety. When money or any temporal thing is the goal of life, we will necessarily worry. For nothing temporal is certain. We do not, in fact, know which direction the economy will go. We don't know if the job we do will actually be needed, or whether, if it's needed, we will be the one asked to do it. Even those who have lots of money are not free from the anxiety produced by a focus on money, for they worry about losing their money or how much of it they have in comparison with someone else. And then, of course, there is death, when money and all temporary things are lost. A story is told about the death of a very wealthy man as the accountants gathered around to go over the estate. Someone said, how much did he leave? And another person said, he left all of it. Jesus doesn't merely prohibit anxiety. He gives us an alternative lifestyle. Be not anxious, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This means that rather than worrying about what we shall eat, drink, and wear, or the direction of the economy, or the value of our assets, we should ask different questions. What does God want me to do? What does the kingdom of God look like in the particular environment in which I live and move from day to day? And how am I to influence the spread of the kingdom in that place? Am I doing what God calls me to do to the best of my ability? Am I treating others as though they bear the image of God? We have to be clear that seeking first the kingdom of God is not an easy thing to do. It is not a simple answer to anxiety. It is very hard to wrestle in prayer with God over questions like, what should I do in this or that situation? What is God's will for those we love and how are we supposed to participate in that will. When we are called to, when are we called to act? When are we called to do something? And when are we called to wait for God to act? And while we know that we are supposed 
to love others, even our enemies. Just exactly how are we supposed to do that? What are the behavioral implications of love in the difficult circumstances in which each of us finds uh, him or herself? This is why we talk about the life of prayer. We cannot seek first the kingdom of God unless prayer is the very foundation of our lives, unless the ongoing conversation of prayer is a part of everything we do, unless we live by some kind of rule of life in which prayer and the reading of scripture, praise, confession, intercession, and thanksgiving is part of the very fabric of our daily lives. We must necessarily be preoccupied in life with something. And Jesus is saying that we should be preoccupied with the implications of serving God. When we commit ourselves to prayer, to seeking first the kingdom of God as a way of life over long seasons of time, a strange thing begins to happen we begin to experience a decrease in anxiety and an increase in faith. We find ourselves worrying less and trusting God more. And we should note here, this is why time is very important. We won't experience this if we say, well, we'll pray for a week and give it, give it a go and see how we feel. Two weeks when we give it up, we'll go right back where we were. Prayer is formative over the long term. It's measured in months and half years and years and half decades and decades and then lifetimes. As we do this, we find this gradual transition from anxiety to faith. And this transition takes place not because the future becomes any more certain. It's because we learn to trust that God is good and trustworthy. We learn how to be faithful creatures and we learn how to let God be God. Seeking first the kingdom of God gives us the privilege of trusting God. When we pursue money or any temporal thing as the goal of life, we, uh, when we make compromises or take shortcuts to to achieve things in the world. We are, as it were, on our own. We have to figure it out. We are responsible for making that work. But when we commit all of our life and money to God in prayer, when we commit ourselves to doing his will in every circumstance, we have the privilege of trusting him for the results. And as Jesus said, we discover that indeed all these things are added unto us. St. Paul sums it up in Philippians when he says, quote, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.